Amen. You can remain standing and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and today we're in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord. Father, as your people, Lord, what an honor it is for us to gather, to come before you, Lord. And we just pray that you would inhabit the praises of your people, that you would be amongst us with your spirit, O God, that you would minister to every single heart here. Father, meet us in our brokenness, meet us in our weariness, encourage, challenge us today, God. Make yourself known, and Lord, especially through your word. Father, help me be faithful to your scripture, to your word, and Lord, may you be honored, and may Jesus be glorified for your glory, amen. You may be seated. Aloha and peace be with you all. Um, for those of you who are here and those of you outside and those who are joining us online, um, my original plan was to, uh, since it's Valentine's Day, get everybody out in case there's dates scheduled, but I'll try my best. We'll see where it goes. Um, so today, Paul is addressing this very powerful emotion, anger. Um, the worst thing you could do to an angry person is tell him that he's angry so, uh, and c- confront his anger. So hopefully we don't have too many angry people here. Um, but it's a very, very powerful emotion. And I'm sure uh, many of us at some point have encountered the destructive power of anger. All of us can testify to destroyed relationships due to anger. Um, families that have been torn apart, churches, businesses that fail, wars between nations. So much of that has started and due to this powerful emotion, anger. And so here in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is fighting, just a reminder of the context, he's fighting for our unity He's fighting for our maturity as a people of God, and he's fighting for our purity. And so, when the diverse church, when the united church, I'm sorry, when the diverse church is a united church, it proclaims to the world, it proclaims to the cosmos that God's work of redemption is legit. It proclaims, unity proclaims in a very tangible way, when we experience unity, that God's plan from eternity past to unite all things through the blood of Jesus, when we experience unity, we can feel that tangibly, that God's plan is legit, it's at work. But as we know, unity is not easy. Unity often doesn't come naturally to us. 
something we have to fight for. And so Paul here is fighting for our unity. He tells us that the number one enemy of oneness, of our oneness together, of the oneness in our families and our relationships, the number one enemy of our holiness is our old self. And so this self, this old self that we know we had before we were born again, even though we're Christians, it keeps on popping its head. And so we are urged, Paul is constantly reminding us to be aware of our old self, to be aware how this old self can manifest itself in our lives. And he urges us to instead put on our new self. Ephesians 4.22, he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And then Paul gets very specific. He gives us examples of ways that we are to take off the old self and put on the new self. And so what we're doing is we're pausing here. We're going to go really slow over the next few weeks and look at all of these examples that Paul gives to us one by one. I mean, all of us experience this on a daily basis. Paul addresses falsehood, anger, work, forgiveness, sexuality, speaking life to one another, and so on. And these are very practical things, and these are issues that we encounter every single day. And so today, Paul addresses anger. And if we think about it, I think nothing destroys unity, nothing destroys harmony in relationships and families and churches like anger. Anger is a very powerful force. And it's very interesting, for every example that Paul brings up, he gives us a positive and a negative statement. And so here in our verse, we have one positive statement and three negative ones. The positive instruction is, be angry, which is surprising. You might think, what is going on? Isn't anger bad? Isn't anger evil? Why is is Paul calling us? Why is he telling us to be angry? But Paul quickly qualifies this permission. He says, be angry, and then he gives us three other instructions. These are the negative ones. He says, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. And the third one, verse 27, Give no opportunity to the devil. And so we see, as he calls us to be angry, these three do-nots, they quickly narrow down what kind of anger is permitted. And so looking at this text, uh, looking at the rest of scriptures, we can say comfortably, we can say that there is a 
right way. There's a good way to be angry, and there's also a wrong way, an unrighteous way to be angry, a sinful way. Righteous anger and unrighteous anger. We see both of them here in scriptures. And so I want to begin with you by looking at the righteous anger first. We have many examples of it in scriptures. Uh, We have one here in Ephesians chapter 5, 6. Paul says, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This word wrath is the same word as anger. The anger of God comes on the sons of disobedience. And so here we see that God has anger. He has wrath. And at the same time, we know that God is good. We know that God does not sin, that he cannot sin. And therefore, we can say that God's anger is good. When God is angry, he does not sin. God only has righteous anger. And so one of the challenges for us today is to figure out what is righteous anger, what is unrighteous anger, because that line between the two can be very hard to tell. And so what is the difference? How is righteous anger different from unrighteous? So we're going to look at two things. Motivation, motivation behind anger, and even more importantly, the fruit. What results come when we are angry? God's anger is just. God is just. God is holy. And when we read scriptures, we see that anger is not a defining attribute of God. It's it's wrath and justice. It's one of his attributes, but that's not a defining attribute. When we read the Bible, we see the unfolding story of redemption. We see God's love for his creation. We see how God pursues us to bring us back to himself. And so we have a God who is merciful. A God who is gracious, who is compassionate. And when God's grace, when God's goodness, when God's mercy is rejected, when his love is trampled on, When his holiness is disregarded, his justice and righteousness is on display. That's what we call anger. It is God's just anger. Anger against sin, anger against evil, anger against wickedness. Another good example of righteous anger, uh, we, we have a few of these examples in the life of Jesus. Uh, The one I want to look at with you is in Mark chapter 3. You can go to Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here we have a story of a man with a withered hand. And we read again, he, this is Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they, this is the religious leaders, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. 
And he said to them, the religious people, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So in this text, we see two expressions of anger. We see the righteous anger and unrighteous anger. Jesus is clearly angry. It says it right here. But we also see the Pharisees are angry. But look at the fruit that it brings. Jesus' anger results in healing. His desire, his will is to bring good, to save life, to heal this man. And he's angry with the hard hearts of these men who would rather see death, who would rather see harm come for the sake of religion. And Jesus' anger, we can see here, is also accompanied by grieving. He was angry, and he grieved at the hardness of their heart. And so, alongside this emotion of anger that Jesus is experiencing, it's also accompanied by grief and a desire to do good, a desire to bring life and flourishing to others. On the other hand, the unrighteous anger of the Pharisees is filled with self-righteousness. Their rules, their regulations come before anything else. They don't care if this guy is sick. And so they're angry with Jesus, and they are seeking to destroy him. What a sharp contrast. One brings life and good. The other is seeking destruction. There are many more examples that we have in scriptures of righteous anger in the life of Jesus, in the life of other faithful men and women of God. And every time we can see that when righteous anger is there, it is motivated by mercy, compassion. It's motivated by true justice. And the fruit of this anger is life. It brings about good in the life of others. It causes godly change. People are attracted to this kind of anger. In verse 26, when Paul says, be angry and do not sin, this is a direct quote from Psalm 4.4. These are the words of David. David says in Psalm 4.4, be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. So David is angry. He's in bed. He's pondering in his heart silently before the Lord. 
The context of the psalm is there's injustice happening, there's unrighteousness happening. And he's angry. But he's angry before the Lord. And we see in verse 7 and 8 how God fills him with joy, how God fills him with peace. We know this is righteous anger. The result is not bitterness, it's not destruction but there's joy and peace that fills his heart. And when we think of angry people, probably all know people who are angry, we don't want to be around them. Um, We want to stay away from them. We try to avoid angry people. And if you haven't noticed, if you're angry, people avoid you. That's a tell sign that the anger that you are experiencing is unrighteous. It's not good. When people are repelled by you, your anger is not good. People who are filled with righteous anger are not even defined by anger. When angry people, we could tell they're angry, stay away. They're defined by their anger. But when people are filled with righteous anger, they aren't defined by it. We read that Jesus was known to be gentle and humble. He was meek. He was lowly. That's what defined Jesus. It wasn't his anger. People were drawn to Jesus. And so, when we look at anger and Paul's command, be angry, we see that this is not just a permission to be angry. This is not just some, something that the scripture allows for us. But I think that anger, righteous anger, is a must. It's a necessary good force in the life of a Christian. It's an emotion that should motivate us to do the things of God. God's anger is not, God's anger is towards evil. God's anger is towards unrighteousness. God's anger is towards things that leave humanity broken and destroyed. And so if God loves family, if God loves marriage, then he hates divorce. He's clear about that. If God loves life, if he is the author of life, then he hates murder. He hates abortion. If God loves his people, his creation, then he hates crimes against humanity. He hates Racism, his heart is after the orphans, the widows, the marginalized. And he hates the injustice that causes those things. God is righteous and holy, and so he hates evil, he hates sin. And so ultimately, the the, the righteous anger 
is to be a force of goodness and righteousness in the lives of a Christian. We are to have the heart of God. It's to love the things that God loves. It's to hate the things that he hates. And so the result of this emotion is for us to be empowered and emboldened to bring about restoration, redemption, for forgiveness and grace to triumph over evil. It's to go forth to the broken world and to declare the truth of the gospel to those who desperately need it. It's to be broken, to be angry with the things that are broken. Much of our apathy, much of our indifference to the brokenness around us is the result of us not having righteous anger. We just don't care. We're not moved. We don't see that with Jesus. Jesus was angry and he moved with compassion. He hated the evil around him and so he moved with love. He moved towards the broken to bring them grace, to bring them healing. And so when Paul says, be angry, this is the kind of anger that he has in mind here. The anger that brings about life around us. So now looking at the unrighteous anger, we kind of touched on it. And we're not going to go into all the details of it. it It could look, we experience it in so many ways. But if you remember, Paul tells us these three things. He says, do not sin in your anger. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil in your anger. And so if righteous anger produces good, if it brings about life and grace, then sinful anger, the unrighteous anger, produces division and it produces destruction. And we all know this kind of anger when we see it. It's very clear to us. We can sense it right away. Our friends can sense it. Our wives can sense it. Our husbands can sense it. Our kids. It's clear. Here's where it becomes hard. For the person who's experiencing anger, sadly, it's not clear. Almost never do we feel angry angry without a cause. Most of the time, our anger has a good reason behind it, a good motivation behind it. Just come up to any angry person and they'll give you 10 reasons right off the bat why their anger is justified. Listen to this. If your anger does not foster grace and love, if it's experienced by others as divisiveness, divisiveness, 
if you repel people, if it's destroying relationships, then it's very likely that your anger is sinful. We all have those moments when something goes wrong and we flare up, our anger flares up for a minute or two or maybe an hour, and then we realize that we're wrong. We realize that our anger is stupid. It is most of the time. And then hopefully we repent, we ask forgiveness, we make peace, and life goes on. It's the best case scenario for unrighteous anger. And here, that's why Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. In other words, don't let this thing take root in your life. If your anger is prolonged, days, weeks, months, years, then you know there's some major issues going on. Every angry person has a good reason to be angry. But most of the time, underneath the rage, you will find that it's driven by either revenge or pride. Pride is incredibly blinding. No cost is counted. Those who are blinded by anger and pride do not care if the entire world crumbles and collapses and destroyed. As long as they are right, nothing matters. That is the power of anger. What a dangerous place to be. I want to read to you an example of this justified yet very sinful and unrighteous anger. If you'd go with me to Genesis chapter 34. This is a kind of a long story. This is some drama, Bible drama. Genesis chapter 34, beginning verse 1. Now Dina, the daughter of Leah, whom she, has, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hevite, the prince of the land saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dina, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Let me get me this girl for my wife. Verse 5. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled the daughter of Dina, his daughter Dina. But his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant. And very angry, because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such things must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul 
of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. We're going to skip to verse 13. The sons of Jacob answer Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully because he has defiled their sister Dina. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to, one, to the one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Verse 18, their words please Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem, and the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Verse 25, and on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dina's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamor and his son Shechem with the sword and took Dina out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever else was in the city and in the field. All their wealth and all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? And that's the end of the story. And so in verse 7, we see that all of the brothers were angry. They were very angry. They were indignant. And they had every reason to be angry. Any other emotion would fall short. Anger is the only proper response to what happened. All of them were angry. But two of the brothers took it a little further, much further. Simeon and Levi, look what they do with their anger. They destroy an entire city. They plunder it while they were vulnerable. They took justice in their own hands. And we see how their anger became a force of destruction And if you talk to them, they had every reason to do it. When their dad confronted them, they quickly shut him up. Should they treat our daughter as a prostitute? Pretty legit reason. So now, open up your Bibles to Genesis 49. This is many, many years later. They're already in Egypt. And here we see Jacob, the dad, is on his deathbed. All of his sons are surrounding him, saying their goodbyes. And Jacob is giving his last words to them. 
These blessings, they have weight, a lot of weight. These are not empty words. In a sense, it is the Spirit of God speaking to these men through the mouth of Jacob. God is honoring the words of Jacob. So in chapter 49, verse 5, it's Simeon's and Levi's turn to hear from their father. But instead of blessing, there comes a curse. Verse 5, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory be not joined in their company. For their anger, for in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. What a story. Here we see what God thinks about what they did with their anger. Even though their anger is justified, no one can argue with that. The actions that they took brought about destruction and death. Their anger was sinful. Listen, no matter how justified your anger is, when our anger puts others down, even those who deserve it, when it divides, when it causes strife, when it brings destruction, or when our anger desires destruction or ill into the life of others, our anger is sinful. It is wicked. It is evil. And we just saw exactly what God thinks of that anger. If you remember last week, we read a portion of Romans 12. In verse 19, Paul said, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Do you know why God doesn't want us to take justice into our own hands? Because even the wisest of us, even the best men, make up for some lousy judges. God knows what he's doing. He knows the heart of every man. He knows all motivations. He knows why he even sends hardships into our own lives through other people. He knows it all, and he tells us, leave it up to me. Lay in your beds. Ponder silently. Give it up to the Lord. Let him give you peace and joy instead of revenge. When we try to avenge ourselves, when we try our hand at justice, it comes as revenge. It comes out as malice. And God tells us, that's my job. Let me deal with it myself. And so practically, this can be 
displayed in our lives in very small ways or big ways. Maybe you're one of those people who has a very high standard. And everybody else around you is somewhere right here with their standards. Your, your, your bar of excellence is high. And so things never measure up to your standard. Whatever your spouse does, whatever your kids do, whatever your coworkers do, no one measure up. Anger can easily creep up on you. It's never clean enough. It's never perfect enough. And you get angry. The standard hasn't been met. God calls you to patience. God calls you to put relationships before your standards. Or maybe you're one of those people that can clearly see the big picture of life. God has given you the gift, the ability to see life from the bird's eye view. You can see how all the pieces of life just come together to make up the puzzle. And then you notice everybody else is playing the game the wrong way. And so you want to step in with authority, often with anger, to make things right, to show people how it really needs to be done. God calls you to exercise mercy. Just think about how God treats you. He has all knowledge, all power, and authority, and yet he is merciful to you even when you play the game the wrong way. Or maybe you're one of those people who expresses anger silently. For some reason, I think this is the worst type of anger. Silent anger. And when your silent anger drives the other person angry, angry you blame them. See, it's you, you are the one who's angry. And God calls you to act. Your silence is doing worse. God calls you to speak and deal why you are angry. James 1.19 says, Know this, my beloved, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. No matter how right, no matter how much we feel entitled to our anger, to our rightfulness in the moment, unrighteous anger will never produce the righteousness of God, James says. The fruit will always be foul. And so as Paul urges us to unity, as he urges us to holiness, we can clearly see why anger makes the list of the examples of what gets in between our unity. Righteous anger, it moves us to produce good fruit. It brings life to those around us. When we join God on his mission to make the wrongs of this broken world right through the gospel of Jesus. On the other hand, unrighteous anger does exactly the opposite. 
instead of drawing us to God, it separates us from God. It destroys relationships. It leaves us empty. It leaves us alone. It destroys the work of God. It destroys unity and maturity in the body of Christ. And so lastly, Paul tells us in verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. And we kind of read through this, but we don't really think about the implications of this truth here. The danger, the real threat of prolonging unrighteous, unrepentant anger is that it gives the devil a foothold in your life. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Church, that is true for all of us. For every single individual, for every single family, for every single church. The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Satan loves to prowl. He loves to lurk around angry people. They give him the opportunity. They give him a stronghold to devour and to destroy. Through anger, we give Satan an opportunity to exercise his influence in our lives. Anger gives him the space to use his destructive power to destroy you, our marriages, our relationships, our communities, our churches. That is his objective. Satan's job is to cause division, to cause strife, and there is no better way to do it than through the anger of people. So many families fall apart when anger takes root. So many churches fall apart when anger takes root in its leaders. Paul is aware of this. He is very aware of this, and he warns us to be aware. Peter warns us to be sober-minded, to be watchful. And so in your anger, next time you're angry, just be mindful of that. What opportunities are you giving Satan? What is he seeking to destroy in your life? How is he using you and the fruits that come from your anger to divide, to destroy? Today, so many people are filled with anger. We know that. It's all around us. There's so much animosity towards everything going on around in our world. Today, churches, communities, families are divided over our response to what's happening in the world, whether political leaders or COVID or masks, vaccine, 
politics, whatever it is. People are divided. There's so much emotion. So much, so much of this is so charged. Listen, if your anger, if your dissatisfaction with everything going on, if it brings about fruit, negative fruit, then it's sinful. If your response brings about, if your anger brings about negative fruit, if it's dividing, if it's causing strife, then it's sinful. Revenge, this kind of justice, it is not our job, church. God says, vengeance is mine. That applies to politics. That applies to how, what moves our leaders choose to make. It goes from our house, from our relationships, to the entire cosmos. God says, vengeance is mine. We have a different job. We have a different anger that should be within us. An anger that is to produce love and mercy for the brokenness around us. We have a clear mission to be the light, to be the salt around us. And the only thing that is powerful enough to do this is Jesus. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So church, be angry and do not sin. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank for the clarity of your word. Father, I'm just amazed every single week how applicable it is to us today. How real it is to us. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would move amongst us, that you would show us our pride. Father, our wrong motivation for justice that is often revenge. Father, reveal to us how blinding it is, Lord, in our relationships with our spouses, with our kids, with our coworkers and friends, Lord. Lord, do that work. Expose it. Expose the work of Satan. Let him not have a stronghold in our lives. Father, and Lord, we just thank you that you have given us life. Father, that on the cross, your perfect justice, your perfect anger was revealed. And also your perfect mercy and your perfect love was revealed. If it wasn't for your justice and anger, we would not be your children, Lord. Lord, we thank you that we were not recipients of your anger, but your son, Jesus, was for our sin. And Lord, we thank you that we have received your mercy, that we belong to you. And Father, I just pray that you would empower us to extend this mercy to others.
that what angers you would anger us, that it would move us, Lord, towards the broken around us, God, that we would be instruments of your love, of your compassion, God, in this world, that we would not be consumed with unrighteous anger, Lord, but that our emotions would be preoccupied with just anger, righteous anger, Lord. Do this work in us, Lord. Unite us, God, as a church. Mature us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.